I believe there's nothing more fundamental to who we are as New Testament Christians than to be worshipers of the Most High God. God, according to John 4, 23 and 24, as was read by Chad just a few moments ago, has a desire that we worship Him. That we worship Him and Him only. In fact, the text says the Father seeks such. Doesn't it? Verse 23. He's looking for worshipers. The question that we might ask ourselves is, will we be worshipers of the Most High God? We're going to worship something. But we are to worship God Himself. And then in that same particular passage it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must, another key word, worship Him in spirit, and in truth. There is the manner of our worship done with the proper attitude in accordance with divine truth. The only way that worship can be acceptable under the Almighty. Now this morning, instead of us considering what is or not authorized in worship, we've done that before and we'll do that again later on, but I, I just want to talk about the importance of worship itself. The importance of worshiping in your life and in my life as well. When we consider worship, that is something that really does bind us together. There are many aspects of our lives as, as Christians which may differ from another Christian. For example, we all pray. We all pray that is something that really does bind us together. We understand that not all of our prayers may be alike, right? There are many aspects of our lives that when it comes to our prayers, they may be similar in structure, but the language may be similar. And yes, we may pray about similar things, but still your prayers are not like mine. And my prayers are not like yours but our prayers are something that we pray as individuals there are some things I prayed about that you didn't pray about and there are some things that I prayed about or that you prayed about that I didn't pray about Things that were personal in nature, but never, nevertheless, a part of our prayer lives. And likewise, with regard to good works as well. We know every Christian should desire to be involved in, in good works, don't we? I mean, we should. And while there may be some similarity in the works that we do, your good works are going to be different than mine. Good works. On a daily basis. Mine will be different from yours. Think about evangelism. You know, evangelism is just simply an interest that you have in the souls of others. And by the way, you approach that in your daily life might be somewhat different from the way I approach it in my daily life. And yet we're all involved 
in evangelism, or at least we should be. And we're all involved in praying to God. We're all involved in engaging in good works. We're all involved in, in evangelism, if indeed we are followers of Christ. But in worship, as we have gathered together today, we have come together to engage in acts that are so similar, acts of worship that are authorized by God, and we come here prayerfully with the same aim and, and with the same goal as well. And so as we join our voices together in song, or as we listen attentively to the prayer that was prayed in public worship and say our amens to that prayer. And as we listen carefully to the sermon as it is presented and apply it to our own lives, then we are doing something that really unites us together. I suppose we find the beauty of worship. Our unity worshiping the same God in the same manner from His or from the heart, to sell our heart, a heart that is devoted itself to the things that are noble indeed. Thoughts that are sacred and holy just for a brief period of time, but yet so profound, you see. And so it is when we come together to worship, we're, we're reminded of the definition of worship. Proskuneo to blow a kiss toward God, to bow down, to express adoration, praise. It would be my desire that every one of us would keep that spirit of praise and adoration toward Jehovah God long even after we've left the assembly. It is not only during the assembly, but even long in our daily lives as well, it should be very important. And I understand that when we come together in the assembly, we have come together to worship. I think about Abraham and his son Isaac, who would go up to the top of Mount Moriah. To do what? Well, it was to engage in worship, right? In Genesis 22. And Abraham had said to his servants, we will come again after we have completed our worship. But praise and adoration, this worshipful attitude that you and I should be engaged in this morning, not only during the worship, but even after the worship service has ended. So I want us to focus our attention on the letter W as we talk about worship. Christians are worshipers of the Most High God. But you don't always see or hear Christians talking about praising God. You know, some Christians will say correctly that we're going to worship this morning. What about the idea of offering praise unto God? That's something that we also have come together to do as well. And it may be our attitude towards some of those religious people who talk about a lot about praising God is that they are somewhat uh, irreverent in their approach. But I'm interested in New Testament Christianity and New Testament Christians worshiping and praising and offering their adoration unto the God of heaven. I understand. 
that worship and praise is not determined simply by a wave of emotion that we may come over everybody in the assembly. But I understand that. And yet I am also know that I also know that worship is to come from the heart. And therefore, there likely should be emotion involved in that worship as well. As Brother Holland had wrote a number of years ago, worship does not have to be faddish. But it can still be vibrant and it still can be meaningful. And indeed, it should be. Could it be a people that we are moved that we're moved by a process of worship through the engagement of the various acts in which we engage? Well, I hope that we can be. I hope that we can be. Even when it comes to seeing one being baptized into Christ, should that not stir something within us that affects even our very emotions? That we're so happy for that person and their decision to make things right with God and to put the Lord on a baptism for the remission of their sins and to be able to to then live faithfully from that point forward for God and Christ. Yes. That's the way it should be. I want us to go back to an Old Testament psalm, if you will, the book of Psalms that will help us as New Testament Christians when it comes to our worship. And not just worship in the assembly, but to live a life of praise and and adoration for God. And, And that's the 103rd Psalm. 103rd Psalm that will help us. And while you're turning to that wonderful Psalm, I want to bring something else to your attention, and that is these thoughts from Jesus himself. Now, Jesus is the one who said, For the Father seeketh true worshipers, and that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? He's also speaking to the enemy according to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10. And here it is said that God alone is to be worshipped. He is the only one to be served. Now, Jesus Christ himself confirmed his deity over and over again. And one instance was in John the ninth chapter when a man who had been born blind, Jesus healed him. And the text says that he, the man, worshipped Jesus. Now remember when Peter came to Cornelius and when Cornelius saw Peter, he wanted to fall down and worship him. But Peter said, whoa, wait a minute. I'm a man just like you. I'm not to be worshipped. You're to worship God. And so he said, stand up. I myself also am a man. But Jesus was more than a man. Jesus was more than a man. He was the divine Godhead who thus accepts worship. And Jesus said that our Father in heaven is seeking worshipers. Now, there is one in the Old Testament by the name of David who knew how to worship God. He was a man like each one of us who is a part of humanity. You know, he had his faults. I think we have our faults. Uh, He had his weaknesses and we have our weaknesses. But David longed to worship God. 
And over and over again, when we study the book of Psalms, we hear his expressions of praise and adoration and worship. And I would encourage you, dear friend, to go back and spend some time regularly in that wonderful Old Testament book, the book of Psalms. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we are to worship in the same way that David worshiped. He lived under a different dispensation. He lived under a different law, the Old Testament law. We live under the New Testament law, and we live under Christ's law, and thus we are to worship in the way that Christ had told us that we should worship. Now, the book of Psalms is that will help us to draw closer to the God that we worship. This morning we look at Psalm 103. If you have your Bibles with you, you'll find that it is a psalm that just continually builds. And I want you to notice that with me. It's a psalm that begins with David himself. And what I want you to do this morning as we study the psalm is to let it begin with you. Okay? Our worship begins with who we are individually. And it reflects upon our relationship with God. And therefore, this worshipful attitude or mindset that is proper for worship is something that begins before we ever arrived at the assembly. Ever before we arrived here at the assembly. If indeed you are a lover of God, you want to be a worshiper of God. You want to prepare your heart to worship. That might seem silly to you. But you had to be prepared to be able to go before God with your worship. That needs to happen before you ever get into this assembly. You want to prepare your heart to worship. And so it is when David desired to be a worshiper of God, and the more he worshiped, and the more he praised, and the more he expressed his desire, his adoration for God, it seems to me that he was able to think more about God's goodness, more about God's glory, and more about God's greatness. And so it will be for you and for me as well. The more we reflect upon God and engage in worship, and offer our tribute and praise in adoration, the more we're going to be changed from the inside out. And we will be talking more about the goodness of God and the glory of God and the greatness of God later on. And that's why one of the best prayers that you could ever pray, that I could ever pray, is the simple, God is good and God is great. That's it. For there are no truer expressions in all the universe than those two, God is great and God is good. Let's notice the psalm. And notice as we study Psalm 103, the progressive design of the psalm. You know, first David is speaking to himself and he's realizing the need that he has to bless the Lord, to offer praise to God. And then he turns to the people of Israel. He encourages them, the nation, that he leads to expressing, praising the Lord, praising God. And then thirdly, he expresses his amazement that God would even consider him. 
And then finally, as the song comes to conclusion, he then calls upon everything in the universe to offer up praise and adoration and worship to God. Let's notice the opening verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Here is a man who wants to worship God. He says it starts from within, doesn't he? Oh, my soul, right? Let me be the first, he says, to open up my lips to offer praise and worship and devotion to God. Now, David is doing something that wise people do. He's having a conversation with himself. Uh, Don't ever mock uh, the person you see talking to himself. He probably is wiser than you, right? (laughs) You know, Brother Hardiman uh, said that he often talked to himself, but that he also enjoyed the, the, the intelligent conversation, he, he said. Now, David is talking to himself because that's how you do some introspection. David is looking within. He needs to look inside because he realizes that when he looks inside, there may be something missing. Something important from his life that's missing. Something that's just not right. You think about it for just a moment. We usually think of worship as something that's done outwardly, don't we? We talk about being engaged in this worship collectively. You can, you can hear the songs. You can hear the prayers. And you, you can hear the sermons. You're opening your mouth. You engage in the song service. You know, worship is something done outwardly, and there's an aspect of worship that is done inwardly. But likewise, worship is something that is done inwardly, and it begins there. I mean, he says, bless his holy name, doesn't he? When David says, bless the name of God, he's doing more than just offering up a good word about God. He's really expressing his deepest gratitude, his affection For God, and he says, bless the Lord with all my soul. Isn't that interesting? What is that? The totality of one's being. It's somewhat similar to Paul's statement in Philippians 1.21 when he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ is everything to me. Right? He's everything, the totality of my being. And that's what David is saying. I'm going to use my mind. I'm going to use my emotions. I'm going to use my physical strength and abilities to do what? Well, to bless the name of the Lord. To bless the name of the Lord. And so it is when we gather in assembly like this, we want to move our lips when we are engaged in our singing 
And we want to focus our attention where it needs to be. We want to let the soul within us be moved, bringing the totality of our very beings into our worship. Now, when David searches his heart, he has so much for which to be grateful. The psalmist states here in verse 2, he says, I'm thankful for all of his benefits. You know, that sounds like a few chapters later in Psalm 116 and verse 12 where he says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? You know, I ask you this uh, a question this morning. Can you remember all the good things that, that God has done for you? Can you, can you remember all the, the good things that God has done? You say, well, no, I can't remember all the good things that God has, has done for me. And you don't have to. So many people through the years have done good things on my behalf, but I cannot remember all the people who have done those good things for just me. Nor could I list all the things that they have done for me. Maybe some things I don't even know. And so it is when that God may not expect us to remember all the good that he has done for us, or even realize all the good that he has done for us, and yet he still expects us to be what? Grateful doesn't he? Be grateful for the things you do remember that he's done and be grateful for the things that you didn't know that he has done, that he has done. Don't ask me to repeat that. But the point is, be grateful, appreciative, right? To be filled with praise for what he has done. And what I can do is this, is I can realize that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, James 1.17. You have suffered to some extent. Some of you have suffered greatly, but yet you are thankful. And thankful, and that makes you different from a lot of people. Because it's cynical, it's a cynical soul who's unhappy and ungrateful. And that's the reason that person's unhappy and ungrateful is this, because that person blames God. That person is blaming God for the bad things that happen in life and yet refuses to see the good that comes in life and give him the proper things for it. And yet I noticed from James 1.17, from Psalm 103 and numerous other passages, that he only kind of gives that God can give are those that are good. They're good gifts. The only kind of gifts that God can give are those that are good. But as David had searched his soul, he knew that he was not worthy of any good thing that from God. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? As you give thanks unto God, have you reflected just how perhaps... You're not worthy of any good thing that has, that has come from him. But you've received good things. David was a spiritual man. He understood what it meant to be in a very real sense, to be forgiven, to be heard, to be preserved, verse 4. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, he says. Psalm 103. He understood the importance of being showered with loving kindness and mercy by the God of heaven. And so he says, who crowneth thee with loving kindness 
and tender mercies. You know, God recognizes that his creation, indeed the very crowning of his creation, mankind, that he needs help. And then he supplies them with good things. I, I like Psalm 34 and verse 8 where it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Taste and see, he says. That's what has, that, that he has given us good things. And what is really concerned about more than anything else is really your spiritual well-being. That's what God's worried about. That's what God's uh, concerned about. As a matter of fact, uh, he, it's the inward man that renews regularly. 2 Corinthians 4.16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, but yet their inward man is renewed day by day. And so it is that while this physical body gets old and this physical body tires out, that God says the inward man keeps getting better. Better. If he's spiritual, if he's a worshiper of God, if he is dependent upon God. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He goes into chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. You see that within us? That continuing to be renewed day after day after day. You know, eventually, it has, we have to leave this old frail body, but then to receive something that's much better. And David understood that. But then as David offers up his praise, he wants to remind us of the value of worship. You see, he goes on to state in the verses that follow the need for the nation to likewise lift it up with praise under God, very important. You know, when we sing praises to God, what are we doing? Well, number one, we are offering up our praise to, get to Him, aren't we? That's part of our worship. I've often found it very interesting that those who would be appalled at the very use of mechanical instruments of music and worship don't even lift up their voice in song. It should be that the song leader that's up here, and Brother Joe this morning is the one, should be able to look out and see everybody's mouth is moving to the words that are teaching you and others in song. But what's the very purpose? To give him the praise, the adoration, thus your worship. To God Almighty, who's in heaven. That's it. That's a part of our worship. And so that it is when we're commanded to sing and we have the privilege to sing as God has authorized, 
I think something is wrong with us when one refuses to do that. Spiritually, something is wrong. You know, Colossians 3.16 says, not only are we offering up praise unto God, but we're teaching one another, right? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're admonishing one another when we do this. You know, David realized that his worship was not something confined to himself. He wanted to encourage other people to engage in worship. He, and he gives three reasons right here in Psalm 103 of why we are united together in worship and in praise. Look at verse 6. He says, because the Lord governs righteously. He is a righteous God, and therefore he's worthy of such praise. And being a righteous God, he doesn't play favorites. He desires worship from every nation under heaven. Red and yellow, black and white, it doesn't matter in God's sight. You're all one in him. But second, his laws are practical and for our good. Notice verse 7. God made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. For what reason? (laughs) Well, look at what following God will do for you. My thou shalt and thou shalt not are for your benefit. And then his patience and his long-suffering. Look at verse 8 to Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And then verse 11. For as the heavens is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. God is so wonderful and so marvelous and so great in his loving kindness that he even knows how to do something which is so offensive to him. That is, he knows how to do something with our sin. Verse 12, the favorite passage. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that about God doesn't remove our sins as far as the north is from the south? Because you could measure that. But as far as the east is from the west. But if you removed our sins as far as the east is from the west and you can't measure that. Never to remember them again against us no more. And from this vantage point, David says, let us all unite in praise and worship unto God for his righteousness, for his law or his teachings, and for his loving kindness and patience toward us. Three reasons that David says from this verse that are still good for us to know as New Testament Christians of has to why We worship and praise and give adoration unto God. And then David goes on to say, I am amazed that I can worship God. Remember, Jesus says that the Father seeketh such to worship him. David says, I'm amazed by that fact. Do not take lightly, dear Christian friends, 
the privilege of being able to come into an assembly like this and knowing that God desires our worship. He desires our worship. Just think about that for a moment. God seeketh such to worship Him. God really does desire the worship. More than we sometimes desire to offer it. And so He has an expression here that if you listen closely, you can hear His amazement. Look at verse 13. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. I think sometimes that we are harder on ourselves than God is. And I know that we are harder on others than God is. But remember this passage where God looks down and he says, I know that I made you. And I know how I made you that I made you from the dust of the ground, but I made you for my glory and for my honor. But I know how I made you, and I know what happened to you, and therefore I'm pitiable toward you. I am tenderhearted, though, and I'm sympathetic toward you. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth, that we are dust. God never makes a mistake. Never. He did not make a mistake when he created us, giving us the privilege of making our own choices. That just tells us something about God, doesn't it? How in his desire for, he desires for a relationship, he had to make us creatures of choice. What better love than the love that desires to worship him? And therefore, he lets us choose whether or not we will love him in return. And so David says, there is so much there, however, that causes me to love him in return. If for no other reason, the amazing grace and mercy of God, which David says in verse 17, is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And so it is that finally, David breaks forth with an exclamation to the entire universe. Let's everything praise the Lord. Verse 20, Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. And then he returns, bless the Lord, O my soul. For he says in verse 19, that the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. You see, God's dominion is not limited here on earth. There's not, there's, there is another dominion of God wherein dwells the angels. Where, whether it's here on earth, anywhere in this vast universe or in the spiritual realm, David calls upon all, that is everything, that has breath, praise the Lord. That's it. Regardless, praise the Lord. Psalm 147 verse 1 teaches us that. 
Praise is comely. It's good. It's right. And the same is true for worship. The same is true for worship. The heart that loves God is a heart that worships. And it's a heart that expresses adoration. It's a heart that bows down in submission. I want to close this morning with Hebrews chapter 13, if you will. We have come together in this worship to worship, right? But we leave here with hearts that will praise and adore our Father in heaven continually. And so in Hebrews 13, verses 13 through 15, notice what the writer of Hebrews says. <coughs> Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And that's significant because it speaks about hearing the reproach of Christ. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then he says in verse 16, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Worship is fundamental to who we are as Christians. So I want us to think about this this morning. Just how, how is my worship? How is your worship? You might, you might be saying, well, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't understand because I don't, I don't know how to be able to worship God without being in Christ. That's a good question. Because you need to be in Christ to be able to worship God acceptably. You need to be in Christ as your mediator who bridges that gap between you and, and God to be reconciled back to God. So you have to be a child of God. You have to be reconciled to God through your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ by hearing the very word and having faith and believing that Jesus is the Christ by then repenting of those sins and then making that good confession and going down into the waters of baptism. Then when you rise up, you're now a child of God. You're now in Christ. Now you can worship God acceptably and thus to worship Him continually and thus will be continually, even in heaven, worshiping God. You might be here already a child of God. If you've allowed sin back into your life, you need to pray that God will forgive you of that as you repent to turn away from it. And we hope that we can pray for you and with you as well. The time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Won't you come just as I am as together we stand and see?